Greetings fellow wanderers in the fourth dimension. You're listening to The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. I'm Michael and I'll never know if I was right. And joining me as always, able to spot a megabyte modem from a thousand paces, it's Emma Foster. Hello. Hello. Oh, I mean, I can, I can spot a megabyte modem because it's probably one in my remote control or something. <laughs> oh, that 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 line never fails to to generate gales of laughter in the Foster household um, because my, my better half is a computer man. <laughs> He does computer security and things like that, so it it never fails to raise a giggle. Um, so, as you may have inferred, today we are talking about companions of the 80s and putting them from worst to first in our mm. copyright infringing uh, series of um, episodes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, the 80s companions. So, in order, this is uh, Abrick, Nissa, Tegan, Tello, Chameleon, Perry, Mel, and then Ace. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. what I've got. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. So I think it's probably going to be pretty obvious what our um, winner of this uh, little list is going to be. So we may as well start at the bottom. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should probably go in worst to first. Okay. So um, there was a bit of a bun fight on my list because I didn't know which order to put these in, whether worst or second worst. Hmm. Um, but my worst is Chameleon. Ditto. Yeah, um, but I think if it had worked like it was supposed to work, then I mean, I sort of feel mean putting it last because it wasn't anybody's fault mm. to a degree. But I feel like, I mean, I, I feel like we should sort of backfill a bit for people who maybe aren't especially familiar with the 80s companions. Yeah. Comedian was essentially, uh, the idea was that he was a shape-shifting robot. Mm-hmm. And the idea was that he would spend some time in his robot form but most of the times would be something else yeah um and unfortunately it never worked one jot (laughs) one iota um most of the time it was sort of propped up in a corner (laughs) um in its silver in its silver metal man form Mm -hmm. um made the occasional sarcastic remark and that was all you would see of him in the episode yeah and yeah um i think that you know if it had worked like it was supposed to Mm -hmm. then i mean it it, i mean it's a really great idea but in the greatest tradition of this country and doctor who it was ambitious but rubbish yeah um i think the problem with chameleon is just the wasted potential because yeah you, you don't need the robot all you have to do is just have no. like the doctor in the console room and saying, "Oh, we've landed on such and such," and then you could just have like guest actor of the week stroll out, and the doctor goes, "Hi, chameleon, you're right." You know, like you mm-hmm. don't. The, the The problem with the robot was, it was built and run by one guy, and he died, and he never really wrote down yeah. the operational instructions. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about this was chameleon. In addition to being rubbish, is actually a cursed object. <laughs> yes. Um, as you... it says, the curse of chameleon. I was going to say, are you going to reference the completely useless encyclopedia by Chris Howard and Steve Lyons? I am. Because I have that quote right in front of me too. <laughs> Do you want to read it then, mate? Go on. Go on then. Um, they. Uh, this is from 1996. So they wrote. An examination of Chameleon's history reveals the possible existence of a curse of poltergeist proportions. Both Terence Dudley and Peter Grimwade, who scripted the robot companion's appearances, have died. So too of Chameleon's human alter egos, Gerald Flood and Dallas Adams, who played as Howard Foster form for most of Planet of Fire. 
To say nothing of Chameleon Software designer Mike Power, who was killed shortly after the decision was taken to include the robot in the series. Eric Pringle should thank his lucky stars that Chameleon sequence was edited out of The Awakening, and missing adventure scribe Craig Hinton should start worrying. And the TARDIS wiki follows this quote up by noting that Hinton, who wrote a, a story that Chameleon featured in heavily, um, later died of a heart attack at the age of 42 in 2006. So... Oh yeah. my god, it's literally cursed. This thing is... All... I know that obviously humans are built to see patterns where there isn't one, but holy yeah. shit. Yeah, that's pretty I nice. mean, until I read that, I didn't, I didn't realise just how fucking cursed it actually is. Yeah. So, just... Jesus Christ, consign it to the dustbin of history. Mm. Although, I mean, um, you know, the, the thought that flashed through my head this morning, yeah. I was half awake. I'll, I'll blame it on that. Right. But you know that we can't really work out why there's so many people in the new series of Doctor Who. Right. What if they're going to try it again? What if that's why there's so many of them? Huh. Um, okay. Um... I'm gonna. I, I thought of it first. If that's what it is, then Bagsy, because wouldn't that be amazing? If they if they somehow came across a shape shifting thing, mm. and you know, there it's in those forms of the people that we've seen cast as companions, plural. Oh it's all the same person. <laughs> oh, that's ah. Terrifying, <laughs> brilliant but terrifying. I mean, I, yeah. I think one last word we should have to uh, give on Chameleon before we move on. Um, it's saying something when Peter Davison, um, I think it was in a, a feature about Chameleon, I think it was on King's Demons DVD, he said that uh, mm. any sign of regret shown by him slash the Doctor during the death scene in Planet of Fire was pure acting. He was really happy that the thing was getting scrapped. <laughs> um, it reminds me of when Homer was talking about when him and Barney were on the gong show and it said they got more gongs than the breakdancing robot that caught fire. Literally, <laughs> Comedian was the breakdancing robot that caught, caught fire. fire. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right, let's move mm. on from Chameleon. So, um, my number seven is Mel. Oh, we differ. Okay. And mm. again, I mean... Poor Bonnie Langford. I have to say this. I do, you know, I have no ill will towards her. I'm sure she's a lovely person. But goddamn, Mel is just... I mean, talk about unused companions. I mean, the two things she's yeah. famous for is screaming like a banshee. And mm. she's supposed to have a photographic memory, but that never really comes up. And she's supposed to be a computer program, which, again, never really comes up, apart from the Megabyte modem reference to what is a piece of I don't know, it's, it's all like you wouldn't like it wouldn't look out a place like Beamish Museum up here in the northeast, you know, it's that's not a fucking modem. I mean yes it's true in the, trapped in the no. the wimesy of uh, the Matrix, but you know, it's just, oh Christ. Um No, it looks like if if they said to me and you, here's a bits and bits and some duct tape, make something that looks like you would think a computer room looks like. That is the thing that me and you would make. Yeah. Um that's the problem with it because mm-hmm. uh, no, I mean, to be fair to them though, in those days, all this was pretty new. So that's yeah. why, you know, making her a computer program was like, wow, exotic when everyone's a bloody computer programmer now. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, um, I, I sort of feel a little bit differently about Mel when we get to a, when, when, um, but I mean, what you're saying is entirely true. Yeah. Um, 
it, you know, it sort of reached its nadir when, you know, they said to her, hello, love, um, in this scene, could you scream in the key of F? <laughs> and, um, yes, she could do it. I mean, yeah. because she's her, her background's theatre. Hmm. Um, so, you know, she's game for anything. She spent most of her career sort of with first strapped to her being a cat yeah. in said horrible terrible musical um which i do not care for um but um yeah i mean but to be fair to her it's not like some of the other people that rate lower for me on this list in Mm. that she can actually act and when they ask her to do stuff she can actually do it Mm -hmm. it's not i sort of in my mind have a, a kind of a division between you know the old movies you should see game of shit or in shit <laughs> it, are they shit or are they just in shit things mm. and i sort of think that mel was just in shit things i mean i mean yeah i i completely agree with you that the wasted potential for her is is maybe one of the most egregious in doctor who history mm-hmm. because she she was as and as well the thing that doctor who fans are always asking for that we just want a companion like in medias res if you like yeah that we just we come in and they're just bit they've just been knocking around for ages yeah and then we learn about them but i mean the fact that she was put in some of the worst who mm. that we've ever had to deal with yeah. um you know and the monsters the monsters she had to deal with i mean no one deserves that yeah, the crab I robot mean, from Paradise Towers. The penis monsters. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I the mean, tetraps. you know, it, the tetraps. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's yeah. you know, it's not her fault. And no, so, no, so no, I've no. sort of I've given her a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt, but I completely agree with you that um yeah, I mean it is in in terms of just sort of here's a gra- here's a load of great ideas for a character and things you can do with them. Mm-hmm. Um it's it is sort of just they left ever so much of it hanging of yeah. just like you know here's all this interesting stuff but we're not gonna do anything about any of that mm-hmm. and i mean that yeah i mean the the whole in media's rest thing was actually really fascinating to mm-hmm. like, just sort of drop her in um like especially in terror of the vovoids where she's already been traveling with the doctor for a while so it's yeah. like a nice like, sort of mix of they, they've met but he hasn't met her yet and but she knows him well and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff and it's just sort of it just got tossed in the bin and it's a shame and you know like like i say you know i don't i don't really have anything against mel as a character it's just that again just like she just does nothing for you yeah yeah i mean like i say i think it's one of those ones that if you were sitting and writing a list Mm -hmm. she would sort of be the one you forget if you see what i mean and that is that is a shame unfortunately because she could be literally anybody Mm -hmm. doing that you know what i mean exactly it's mm. yeah Right, so who's your number seven? Oh, it's bloody Adric. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, again, it, I sort of, you know, you kind of... It was a battle between him and the robot, because, frankly, mm. the robot outacts him some days. <laughs> because... <laughs> I mean, it's a sort of a combination between punchable character, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, just kind of the worst kind of wesley crusher traits you know he's whiny he's a swat you know he's like self-righteous little shit and all this sort of thing which you sort of because he was built to accommodate for all the kind of spotty nerdy Mm. kind Mm. of people they thought were watching doctor who you know so all these little you know severe nerds who they thought were were watching who at this time he was sort of written for them Mm. he was like their avatar so Mm. that's annoying in itself and then the bloke they asked to do it can't do it I mean, I've never seen anyone fail to walk across a room less convincingly. 
that's what you really think, Emma. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but I just think that as well. Mm. I think because I've, I mean, I don't want to malign the man, but I've met Matthew Waterhouse, and his his estimation of what he can and cannot do is very different from everyone else's. Mm. Um, and I think that if you want proof of that, um, and that he's maybe learnt not as much as you would hope in the intervening years, <laughs> just go and listen to the commentaries with all four with Davison. Mm. Um, and and everyone else on when you've got all four of them yeah and just listen to them rip the piss out of Maddie Waters <laughs> relentlessly <laughs> oh those actually are some of the best commentaries though they are hysterical it's brilliant stuff especially yeah, when Jenna think... Fielding's like goes on a, on a rant about her hair this this episode it's just <laughs> yeah they are funny but I think that the, the the kind of last I mean because I know that Matthew he pissed off Janet Fielding no end mm. when they were filming and Peter Davidson to an extent and I think a little bit of that still remains yeah. um, so <laughs> I think they're sort of barely concealed contempt in some mm. of those in yeah. some of those commentaries um, so yeah I would say just go and listen to those but I just think for me for Adric is down the bottom I mean he's easy to hate and mm. I feel like I've fallen into that trap a bit but. When you combine a really annoying companion with a really annoying actor and it just sort of adds up to really, really annoying result, yeah. in my opinion. So, yeah, I mean, I, I watch every every time we, there's one we have on one at home mm-hmm. and I think maybe this time I won't be so annoyed and never works. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, speaking of Adric, he's, he's yeah. my number six, but that's purely just yeah. because, you know... That that's kind of where it was gonna. I was either be flip flop between him and Mel. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you got a character who spouts lines such as "Can somebody pass the sodium chloride, please?" It's just oh, they fuck sake, you know. And I think one thing sort of I don't want to say it overlooked, but it didn't seem to get mentioned as much as Adric's proclivity to like side with the villain. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, that's not quite his fault. Or maybe he's just making the best of a bad situation, see the master in Castrovalva. But then you got oh, stories like, so. like Fall to Doomsday, where he's quite clearly on the monarch's side. Like, mm. you know, turn humanity into androids so they don't have to suffer from disease. Oh, that's a great plan. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think the only sort of reason why he's... <laughs> I'm let's say this high up, um, but you know it's the fact that it's he's one of the rare few characters, companions in Doctor Who, who gets killed off and it sticks. I mean, true. I, have, I mean, I have to qualify with and it sticks, obviously with you know the new series and all that, and you know I, for much as you want to hate him. That last shot where he's like an earth shock where he's just holding on to his brother's belt and he's just got this look of like shit, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, he goes all explodey. It's it's kind of like it's you almost kind of sort of very slightly like a speck of dust on your computer. You just wanna like flick it off. And that's yeah. kind of how sorry you feel for him at that point. I mean, he was doing yeah. his best, even though he was like very sort of tentatively pecking away at the keyboard, 
because Matthew Waterhouse knew it was going to like explode. explode. <laughs> oh, that is chronic. But I mean, it's just just to cement his annoyingness. You know, mm. is all this that could be a profound emotional moment. And what is his last line? I'll never know no, if, if I, I was, was right. right. Mm. Yeah. How annoying yeah. is that? Yeah, and, and you just like it's again like listening to the commentaries that I ripped the piss out of Matthew Waterhouse. <laughs> I think, it's like, I think it's Janet Fielding who mentions it at the end of Earthshock when when she and Sarah Sutton are sort of like turning to one another in this sort of like huddling against they're trying so hard not to laugh yeah exactly <laughs> it's so obvious it is it's so obvious oh dear. oh dear it is ridiculous and I think that you know he's the one he's never gone back for and can't do anything you know he's like oh can't do anything about it never mind yeah. bye yeah <laughs> <laughs> Tough to tease. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so who's your number six? My number six. Oh, I think I'm going to get yelled at, but this mm. is Turlo. Okay. Um, again, it's a little bit of. I think your problem with Mel is kind of my problem with Turlo. Mm. In the 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 constant. I mean, it's a good. In theory, it's a good idea to have a companion who's like this secret double agent is has been sort of compelled that he's got to somehow harm the doctor but mm. it just goes on for so long and it's yeah. so stupid and uh, you know blood garden you're going one more chance in addition to all the other one more chances i gave you and um yeah i just I mean, it's no it's not nothing against the actor in mm. this it's sort of what i you feel about mel's like i say it's like it, they sort of someone who i think would have been a you know a decent companion had it not be for being lumbered with a storyline that didn't work really very well i don't think mm. yeah it's something they should have really tossed out the window a lot sooner than they did yeah it really goes on stories for ages mm. yeah um see uh, i've got Tello slightly high up on the list but i mean i'll get into my reasons later on but i mean you, you're right i mean Mark Strickson, bless him, doesn't really get a hell of a lot to do. No. Um, like beyond, obviously beyond the whole Black Guardian thing. Um, but I, I mean, like I say, I do have him ranked higher, so I'll, I'll get into my reasons for that. Um, yeah. When we get to it. Uh, so number five for me is Perry. Oh, exactly the same for me. Yeah, and again, you know, nothing against Nicola Bryant. Um, yes. It's. It's the shit or in shit sort of thing. And now question. Do you think there was any really need for her to be American? No. I mean, this is what my complaint is about Perry in that Mm -hmm. she's less a character, more than a cynical marketing exercise um, for me because she's American because JNT realized that Doctor Who was getting big in America. Mm -hmm. She's a young lady and they make her dress with basically her tits out near constantly because it's for the dads. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's less, like I say, uh, 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 she's sort of just a vessel for, for things that the show feels like they have to do to make people watch it as opposed to a character mm. i mean apart from you know she doesn't like her stepdad and is american i don't really know anything about perry to this day no no and um i think the other sort of really grating thing is just how much perry and the sixth doctor did not get along and yeah i mean we've said this many a time on the show it's like why that fuck is again but the really annoying thing is when you get to the mysterious planet, the first story of Trial of the Time, they're getting along lots better. 
And, you know, the Sith Doctor is still being a bit of an egomaniac, you know, and she says, uh, are there any intelligent life? She went, and he goes, apart from me, you mean. But um, it's just when he sort of goes, don't know, should we have a look? And it's just like, they're so chummy together. I mean, there's, uh, it, you do get the sense that time's moved on for these two and they're mm. getting along a lot better. I mean, maybe they're still like having the squabbles and all that, but, you know, it's not like constant bickering. You know, I mean, it's pretty damning then when um, one uh, parting line from uh, a sporting character in one story, I can't remember which one, is it Mark the Rani maybe? I can't remember. But uh, somebody says to the Sixth Doctor, what are you doing there? And he just goes, argue mainly. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, I, I don't mind having Doctor Companion friction, but no. to drag it on for that long, you've got to sort of yeah. temper it. And... Absolutely, you you can't you can't constantly be like you know when you see people who are boyfriend and girlfriend or otherwise, and mm-hmm. you know you can't understand why they're still together because all they do is argue. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of that that thing of like I don't know why she isn't going just take me home because this sucks. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's just. Um, yeah, it, it's sort of inexplicable um, for for most of it, and yeah, I I I don't blame Nicola Bryant one iota because yeah. that she did exactly what they asked her to do, mm-hmm. and they're you know it, I, for this I sort of firmly blame the production team. Oh yeah, um, because uh, like you say, it's one of the, the the Sixth Doctor and Perry to a certain extent have been entirely redeemed by their audio work. I mean. Yes. You know, it's if I was to say, if you want to hear how they were supposed to be, or the idea that how they would be four years down the line when this master plan worked out, then go go listen to some of the audios because they they are a much better duo on mm-hmm. on tape. Um, but that's really unfortunate because you know neither of them really deserve to be lumbered with what they were asked to do. Mm-hmm. And I think Perry also got a really shit ending she did yeah i mean i mean can i can i be honest go for it bit where in at the end of mind warp where she gets taken over by um kiv is it i think yeah i think it was kiv but anyway like and you know she seemingly gets gunned down by akarnas by brian blessed um if that had stuck that would have just like literally would have been like genuinely shocking and i kind of uh, sort of angering almost because she sort of didn't deserve that. But the problem is that they then went and undid that by, <laughs> by, oh god, by having it turns out like that bit was falsified by the time laws or something, and mm. you know she ended up settling down with Brian Blessed, and you know there's this like still frame, and it's sort of got this like really shit like pink heart, heart. overlay. Oh. Oh, well, I think it's I think I think it's telling that when you listen to, if you listen to the commentary oh, yeah. uh, for that that Nicola Bryant had no idea that's what mm. they did and she mm. was like what the fuck is that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sort of thing <laughs> reading not so many words you know so yeah. um oh, god yeah I mean they have actually Perry's been one of those companions who sort of like in the expanded universe has had a lot more sort of finales than like most other companions oh yes. <laughs> 
Oh yes, but I, I really think that you know if if you're someone who's like I, I you know like we we are at this point and all you've seen of her is the TV, I think mm-hmm. you sort of owe it to Nicola Bryant and Colin Baker yeah. to go and have a listen to some of those. I mean they're on Spotify now some of mm. them, so you can go and listen to some of these some of these early, some of the early Big Finish and like where they decided to take the characters and you just go right okay now I understand what they mm-hmm. were supposed to do sort of thing. Yeah. Right, so that's our number five, yeah? Aye. Okay, so number four for me is Nissa. Okie dokie. Um, and again, you know, I have nothing against Sarah's son, you know? No. Um, and I've got to be honest, sort of like three and four was actually really difficult for me to like try and decide who belonged where. Right. Um, with Nissa, I think a lot of the problem with her is she wasn't originally meant to be a companion mm. and then i think jnt sort of like decided oh she's actually really good let's stick her in so that's why sort of like she gets sidelined for a lot of kinder and mm. she doesn't really get very much to do no but i don't know i just really like nissa yeah i really like her i mean that's yeah. why i mean um you know uh she's uh she's in at number four for me um mm-hmm. Oh no! So no, no number three. three We're at number right, four yeah. now. She's yeah. at number three for me mm-hmm. um, because um, yeah, she's just really nice. And that's not her fault again. Mm. It's I think that's obviously I think that's just based Sarah Sutton because I've met her at conventions and she's really nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that's just it's just her, I guess. Yeah. So um, but yeah, I think that it's it's good that you have a companion. She's not sidelined because like. Um, it's anything against her as such. It was mm-hmm. just because J and T once again kind of just made a snap decision and went, "I'll oh, just you know we'll keep her sort of thing like yeah. a puppy on you found it in the, <laughs> the on the street and um, you know so we'll, so and then you know we so well what should we do? I know we'll just Princess Leia and blow up her own fucking planet. Yeah, why not? You know so this poor this poor girl who's like watched her dad's corpse be sort of paraded around by the master. Then lose everyone and everything she's ever known, and then sling her in with like this band of idiots. (laughs) (laughs) And she's fine with it, apparently. Yeah. Just okay. Share a room in an infinitely big TARDIS with the only other woman on the ship? Question mark. Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's it says something about Peter Davison again because I think they were trying to like get rid of her quite a few times, and Peter Davison fought a corner. Yeah, um, good. Really, I mean, like, notably, with... did not do the same for Matthew Waterhouse, but no. never mind. Yeah. Um... Uh, but I mean, I think it's telling because, again, going to Big Finish, they've got like quite a few stories where it's just the Fifth Doctor and uh, Nyssa because you've got that little space of time between, I think it was Time Flight and Arc of Infinity, where you know they start, they they get Tegan back to Heathrow. And they think, okay, great, she's back where she where she belongs. Well, let's like toddle on and leave her to it. And then it turns out she actually wanted to stick stick around after all, but they'd already buggered off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, mean, um, I not They're I really good. Yeah, I won't lie. Um, I would have loved to have had more like Fifth Doctor in this, just so we can get to see how they are. Because you know we've said it before, and we'll say it again: the crowd at TARDIS, you don't really mm. get a lot of chance for the doctor to have like these one one on one like com- doctor companion relationships you know um 
and especially with someone who is quite different personality wise from nearly from virtually everyone else who's you know the sole companion of the doctor Mm -hmm. i mean female wise i mean because you i mean the the sort of the 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 first casting note and sometimes the only one especially in the 80s was like forthright brassy you know strong independent things like that i mean not mm-hmm. to malign miss nissa but she's not no. like that i mean she's no. you know she's independently minded she's extraordinarily clever but i mean she's quite quiet and mm-hmm. quite reserved and it's it's different from other companions in that yeah. way she's kind of the, almost the only one i can think of who's kind of like that mm-hmm. and it's it would be nice to see you know how the compa- how the doctor and the companion dynamic is different with someone with someone whose personality isn't you know like someone we're going to talk about momentarily the mouth <laughs> on legs <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um again it's just i think like i think it's probably a recurring thing with these companions just sort of like the potential was there but it just didn't really get played with i don't think they really thought that far ahead no, I mean, because at this time, I mean, it wasn't about the companions. No, I mean, true. it was about let's go and have an awesome adventure and, mm-hmm. you know, go and meet all these weird things that they'll put in the Radio Times. It's not <laughs> the, the the companion having a, a complex and nuanced backstory is kind mm-hmm. of item 99 on a 100 item list, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was. It didn't almost matter that the, compa- that the TARDIS was so crowded because you almost have like the doctor and then a greek chorus of people who you know one who's annoying and fucks off and you know who's who's like the villain side one who mm. just agrees with the doctor and one who's like the audience essentially yeah. so um yeah it's uh, i think that once again big finish to the rescue because it sort of um gives her space to breathe and to be a character in her own right mm-hmm. and i think what's also interesting about big finish is they actually sort of brought nissa back at a later point where she is older. So she is like the same age that Sarah Sutton is now. And they like, you know, it's, that's actually quite an interesting thing to do. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it, um, I think it is, is good. I mean, cause obviously in the, in the intervening 30 years, you're going to change. And, you know, I think that sort of bringing people back at, at their sort of actually age they are as well it sort of helps them with because obviously your voice changes as you get older yeah. um so you can hear that i mean mm-hmm. i couldn't pass for 15 year old me anymore no. so it's kind of the same and it's that that's nista is also burdened with one of my, my most hated tropes that you have a woman who is in her 20s and they, they treat her like a child yeah it's yeah that's pretty bad yeah yeah um uh, so in at number four was where I put Mel. Um, yeah. I mean, because I'm kind of my, my thoughts on Mel are exactly the same as yours, but I kind of give her a bump up the list because she doesn't annoy me as much as the people below her. And <laughs> um, I think that I, I think that Bonnie Langford is a really, actually a really good actor. And mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, she was burdened by a lot of dross unfortunately yeah. but i think that when you actually watch her in the episodes i think that she is much better than anyone i think should really have any right to be when when they asked her you know doing what they asked her to do so yeah. i kind of give i sort of she's up there sort of benefit of the doubt wise really yeah. for me so that's the but i mean i entirely agree with what you're saying that's when you, enough. with you so yeah. um yeah so my my number three was nissa so your mm. number three is turlo righto and I think it's more because he has such like an interesting introduction. Right. Um, I mean, again, again, he doesn't really get to do very much. But 
the fact that he, he always seems like this, like he just seems like this strange boy. So you're not really sure what's going on with him. And then he's like brought into the fold as sort of like a supposed companion, but like sort of like a like a Trojan horse or whatever, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, again, yes, it goes on for far too long. And should have been really dealt with quite well, quickly. But what I quite like about Turlo is, it's just, uh, you know, when we saw his talk about like the trio of woe and stuff like that. But I kind of like the fact that he's a bit selfish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's kind of, I mean, he's not like, he's not really a coward as such, even though he really doesn't want to get himself into like situations. But he's more of a survivalist. So, like, he sort of knows how to pick his battles. But yeah. that won't, like, stop him from, you know, like, fighting his corner. It's just, it's like, it's like I'd far rather not thank you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah, I, it's, I think that between Turlo and Adric, there was this, uh, this thing that JNT kind of got in his head that he wanted, like, an artful Dodger type. Mm. You know, someone who was a bit, morally, a bit more morally grey. Yeah. And okay fine but um what you the the results that we got i think didn't quite work either way no i mean you're quite right um but i I, it's really like i say like three and four were very difficult for me to choose between and yeah i I can't really i can't really like properly like explain why turlo made it to three i mean apart from Mm. like the reasons are listed i think it's um like I, said, I think there's something, always something just like something naturally, you know, nothing against Mark Strickson, but there's something that naturally shady about him. Do you know what I mean? You're like, you're never quite yeah. sure. He's got a sinister face. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, oh no, I've lost my thread, please. Oh no, cause, no. Oh, no what I was going to say was, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes when you make lists of worst to first or, mm-hmm. you know, top 10 or anything like that, when you get to this point, you always get a thing of like, I can't morally put them any lower, mm-hmm. but, they seem too high. Yeah. And I think that we definitely admit that for Mel and possibly mm-hmm. you for Turlo in this respect. But I think that, you know, if we could have people like, you know, worst, best, and then like joint fifth, mm-hmm. um, I think that would be like kind of what we had. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, again, I agree. I think that you're, you're sort of in the same position I was when I was putting Mel in at four. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, I really like the actor, mm-hmm. and but they were saddled with kind of a clumsy mm. interpretation of what the original idea of the character is. Yeah, and and I think the other thing is we don't really get a sense of like where Turlo is from or no. what his deal is until his very last story, and then it's like, Again. okay, cheery bye. <laughs> Again, again, they only really bother with this when they're about to sling their hook, and mm. you know it, 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 it's telling. I think that as well for the actors, where they've sort of really kind of hanging on to this idea of the character by their fingernails, and mm. finally, when they have something to get their teeth into, they respond. But it, it, you know, you can't keep doing this to them. Yeah. You can't, you can't keep giving them only their, you know, their best performance when they're about to get their last paycheck. Mm. Yeah. That's just unfortunate. I mean, mm. again, like I say, I, I kind of feel <laughs> like you say you feel bad about you putting them in that place, but I, mm. I don't know whether like Nissa would have been better suited in number three. Like, but um, there you go. <laughs> it is mm. what it is. Um, so I think we've probably got a joint number two. Yes, Tegan. It's Tegan. Yeah. yeah. And it's strange because 
like the trio of woe, she's probably. <laughs> I mean, I th- you, you like like mentioned like character traits sort of checklists sort of like forthright, and you know Tegan's certainly that. And I think that's probably why she's there. Yeah. She's not afraid to give. She's not taking shit from anybody. <laughs> no, especially not the Doctor. And mm. I think that that's refreshing, especially in that in that TARDIS setup as it is. You have a Doctor who isn't like its previous incarnation, and for want of a better word, is a bit wet. Mm. So you kind of, um, you know, you respect someone, you know, who's going to come in there and not take any nonsense. Mm. And when she stops having fun, she picks up her shit and leaves. And, yeah. you know, that is... That's great because I think at that point in the TARDIS you were like, somebody please say something mm-hmm. because this is this this setup is really weird. And, you know, I think that she's kind of, you know, the most human companion we'd had for some time. And she gets upset about things. She gets pissed yeah. off about things. Yeah. She's, you know, it's like she's like a person. I think that you sort of respond to that. Mm. Like I say, when she decides to leave, she just had enough because she's upset about what happened to Adric. She's mm. upset about what's happening in the TARDIS and, you know, with the relationship with the Doctor. And, you know, she loves Nyssa, but all this sort of thing. And it's like um, she has like a, a visceral reaction to it that any of us would have heard, I think. Yeah. And I think that as an audience, you respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's one of those nice sort of seeks between character and person who plays them because again mm-hmm. Janet Fielding is not unlike Tegan in that respect yeah. that she's gonna she's gonna stand I mean I think that her career after she finished acting she went on to be an agent mm-hmm. and I think that that speaks you know that someone who's gonna stand up and speak for their client and things like that she's just that sort of person yeah so that aspect of her personality comes across in in the show and i think that hmm. more power to her yeah and yeah we'll we've often complained about like these companions not having a lot to do but janet fielding did get a lot to do i mean apart mm. from all of what you've just said above you know you've got shows like kinder where she gets possessed by the mara so she gets a lot more like range to her it's not just like gobby australian complaining you know yes. well I, was, I mean she gets a story arc but a story yeah. arc that actually works because mm-hmm. i say she's she has the encounter with the mara and it continues and it bothers her until they go back to and confront it again yeah and you know she credits to janet fielding she maintains that that character arc she had in her head like okay so this is where tegan is emotionally in this episode mm-hmm. and it works it's much more subtle than like you know what Turlo had and the Perry stuff. I mean, it 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 works so much better. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it. I think that considering the you know how many people are in that TARDIS, I think the the fact that she stands out, I think, is a credit to Janet Fielding. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if she was like written in because JNT wanted Qantas flights. <clears throat> yeah, and yet again, another <laughs> another thank you JNT for you know I. <laughs> Things that, you know, basically mean that you get something on the side um, Mm. once again. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got to get to our number one. And don't you dare call her small. No. Ace. Yay! I mean, I I think it's kind of saying something that's... I mean, like you say, this is like the obvious answer, but I think it's just sort of like so condemning of the 80s as a whole when... Mm. um, this sort of like really gobby teenager who has a penchant for explosives and is really quite violent and <laughs> like mm. she she takes the top slot. But I mean, what 
what can you say about Ace that we haven't already said? Yeah, I know. I mean, I think that some accident, probably by accident rather than design, mm. they sort of hit on a character that was really tapped into the zeitgeist of the 80s. Yeah. I think that this this sort of young lady, the kind of, you know, the urban, city, gobby, kind of South London, well, you know, West London, yeah. um, you know, has... It, you know, people, kids from the estate, you know, mm-hmm. as kind of like a troubled background. Like these sort of characters, you didn't really see on telly very much. No. I mean, are you really just seeing a soap opera or you'd be in like Grange Hill or something mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. Um, so putting someone like that, taking them out of sort of preteen telly or off like, you know, sort of a very sort of think piece BBC documentary and putting them in family show, yeah. I think was, so, was at the time was kind of like, oh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of almost, you know, if I think if she'd been she someone who could have stayed on telly, I think, for 10 years, because oh, yeah. like if you brought that character in, she was kind of like almost the first ladette. I mean, mm. you know, it, that's sort of one of those things of like, you know, girls who drink pints and go yeah. to get, you know, and do all this sort of thing. You know, she was kind of almost like a prototypical one of those so somehow they kind of hit on what was really like the coolest kind of or the most interesting kind of character or young person you could have put on telly at that time Mm. so they really tapped into something with her and i think that even watching it now which you know unsadly is the best part of 30 years later now um um, you know it's um you know i think she's still really fresh feeling Mm. Mm mm-hmm and sort of like, I think she's even like more interesting than like Rose. That she was like yeah. the prototype Rose, but she's still more interesting because she is so damaged. Yeah, you know? she is. And I think that's actually you know we've got a lot of sort of like more or less squeaky clean companions, but here's one who's like really sort of like life is really shit on her. Um, yeah. Because I mean, if the circumstances in which we meet her in Dragonfire, you know, she's in this like futuristic colony like off world she's thinking what the hell is she doing there um and you know it does she just like partially explain it but it's not the full picture and that's one of the great things andrew cartmel was trying to do with the series was trying to sort of like not have like these awkward like we sort of got with the jnt era but more sort of like a slight more moffetti sort of building up towards something you yeah know what i mean and um the fact that you know um even just like things like even, even before it's like properly like spelled out and things like ghost light and that you can tell like she doesn't like take racists lightly i mean mm-hmm. remembrance of the daleks there's the bit where she finds the sign in um mike smith mother's like window because she runs a and b yeah. and just says like no coloreds it's just it's like she's not like angry but she goes like goes to, like the kitchen where mrs smith's doing her ironing and she goes like mrs smith as if she said like what the hell's this and she just like, then goes, I'm just popping out for a breath of fresh air. You know, she's yeah. not like, like, she doesn't like want to like rock the boat like unnecessarily, but she clearly does not want to be there. She wants to like get the fuck out before she like maybe says something before she regrets. But I mean, like Ghost, like when she like explains like her history with Gabriel Chase um, and she talks about like, you know, a friend's flat. I think there's like a Pakistani friend she had and some white kids firebombed it. And it's just like, wow, that's really dark for like this era of Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, but again, at the time, that was kind of the things that were happening, sadly. I mean, and, um, you know, it was, it was, um, I mean, because sort of growing up, 
she's like the people I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And so when you, again, when you sort of go and watch it, it's, she's like the most real character that's yeah. ever been in Doctor Who. Like, I mean, it's like she's like, as I say, she's sort of almost been plucked out of a, out of like a hard hitting drama. Mm. But again, she, but she's, they sort of managed to balance that, darkness and that sadness in her character firstly Mm -hmm. with her relationship she's almost got the perfect doctor Mm because you have a doctor like her who on the surface is kind of very sort of clownish and light but underneath has got a lot of you know edge Mm -hmm. and uh, a bit of darkness and that sort of thing so you kind of have those two characters who are sort of very similar in that way but you have kind of their relationship is not quite patriarchal it's kind of almost deeper than that but they sort of mm. managed to express that through the show and yeah. um yeah i mean she really is i, I think that people really connect with her because she's the most you know realistic kind of you can imagine being friends with ace oh you yeah. can imagine growing up with ace mm-hmm. uh, whereas i think that nearly everyone else you couldn't really envisage as a as a real person almost mm. <laughs> yeah and um, I mean, like you say, the, the seven and ace are like very similar to it, but like seven talks a lot more intellectually. It's much more like plotting and like talking people down, whereas ace's dark side is to beat up a dog with a baseball bat. You yeah, know? and I like that. I like that she wasn't afraid to get down and dirty. Mm. You know, I mean, stuff like the cat fight and ghost light was just like a lot of hair pulling and just sort of like like shoving around and things like that. Um, it's just great. And it, I think, like I say, like her physicality sort of like complements the Seventh Doctor's intellectuality quite well. And, you know, it's clear that they do like care for each other quite a lot. I mean, it does get very rocky when you sort of go into things like um, the the Virgin New Adventures and things like that. Um, I mean, even like things like Curse of Fenric, where the Doctor has to sort of like break her just so he can mm. win the day. And he does like genuinely feel shit about it afterwards Mm. yeah i think that there's just so much depth to her and i think Mm. that she's such an exciting character i mean still i mean again further reading i mean i mean some of the new adventures kind of take that to kind of an extreme level Mm. i mean you know it's shocking to sometimes read one of these books and aces you know shagging anything with a pulse and (laughs) um swearing and smoking you know doing all these sort of things so Mm. i think that some readers some writers kind of take that too extreme but i tell you Mm. what if you were going to have a listen to it again it's sort of early big finish um the ones they did kind of with her and bernice summerfield so Mm. the the kind of nascent eighth doctor the companion who, you know, had a massive spin-off and has a great big sort of history of her own. Mm. Some of those ones are really good. And and they, they adapted a few of the new Avengers, didn't they, for Big Fit? I think yeah. Love and War, I think it was Transit, maybe? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to, like, check those out, actually, yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's actually quite interesting now that I think about it. It's um, Ace is very much kind of, like, bisexual, really, even yeah. in the show, and it's, like... It's very much, like, implied in sort of like a very BBC sort of way. It's not, like, sort of out now, like, if, like, if Doctor Who, if she'd been brought into Doctor Who, like, now, it would be sort of, like, writ large. You know, it might have a big neon flashing sign saying, bisexual. But, you know, when you you see her, like, in Curse of Fenrir, it's, like, flirting with um, Sorin, and then you've got Survival, where she and, again, Lisa Bowerman seems to have this sort of, like, bit of a th- thing. I think even Selfie yeah. Alder sort of agreed that Ace would be bisexual. Um, so it's quite interesting how, like, that was very much 
it's suggested and implied, but it's never outright said because, again, you know, BBC at the time. So you, you couldn't really sort of like be out there as it were. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's like I say, I think it speaks to how cool Ace is that you mm. can basically pick her up from where she is in Doctor Who's timeline, pick her up, put it in the TARDIS now, mm. change a bit of the slang and maybe take the bomber jacket off and she could, you know, fit in near perfectly. Yeah. Um, I think that's how, you know, kind of ahead of her time she was. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I mean, I don't really know what else you can say about Ace. No, I think that we've kind we every time that she comes up, we kind of, you know, wax philosophical about her because and as well, it helps that Sophie Aldred is mega as playing her i mean considering you know kind of how young she was doing it and Mm -hmm. kind of you know quite a lot like quite a lot of other companions kind of like um you know it's her first job and all this sort of thing and um, i think just sort of in her later life what an advocate she's been for who Mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing i think that yeah i think it helps that you know she's marvelous and so's her character so yeah hats off to selfie aldred yes absolutely so, let us know your thoughts. You can email us at greatestshowatsimplesyndicated.com. You can tweet us at greatestshowpod, or you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash greatestshowpodcast. We invite you to visit simplysyndicated.com and check out our many sister shows on the network, and as always, we welcome your support. The best way you can help us out is by signing up to Simply Everything. A monthly fee of just £6 gives you access to ad-free versions of current shows, a library of podcasts from the network's archives, and shows that are exclusive to the service. We also have a merchandise store that offers apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. We also have a Patreon and can donate to the network through PayPal, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So with that being said, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye. <laughs>